Hey there, and welcome to the Shameless Podcast, Shameless Talks. I'm your host, Julia Delorentis Johnson. For those of you who don't know Shameless Magazine, it's a Canadian magazine for teen girls and trans youth, and we're all about social justice and anti-oppression. So this is our second podcast about eco-justice to go along with our eco-justice issue, which is on the stands right now. For me personally, my um, my interest in environmentalism started when I was pretty young. Um, I started something called the Green Team, which included uh, neighborhood kids that would come to my treehouse at the bottom of this little hill that was in my backyard. And we used to, um, two things, we used to clean up the local park and we used to make a newsletter so journalism and environmentalism my interest in both started young and uh and then when i got a little bit older i um i used a diva cup for example instead of tampons and pads because i thought that was more environmentally sound i'm also old enough to remember when municipal recycling uh came on the scene in, in toronto at least and that really felt like a positive step at the time. I remember everybody being really excited about it at school. And yeah, it was a positive step. But here's the truth. (laughs) When I began to learn about big environmental issues, what they were, and I'm talking about like climate change and pipelines, burning rainforests, things like that, I began to become pretty downhearted about it because it seemed big like too big for an individual or or a group of like ragtag park cleanup after schoolers to fix or stop or slow down and then much later when I learned about environmental justice and how environmental justice is a social system just like race or class or gender and like those other systems isolated incidences are far from the whole story so, for example, some factories may produce toxic waste, and you know maybe that's not very good for the environment. But which demographics, based on race, education, and income, live closest to this toxic these toxic factories? A recent study found that people of color are exposed to thirty eight percent more of outdoor nitrogen dioxide, which is a byproduct found in vehicle exhaust and fossil fuel fired power plants which experts say can be a key driver of heart disease and other health problems. And once you start to dig, you'll find a lot of examples just like that one when it comes to environmental justice, because environmental justice is social justice. Rebecca Mandaman is a teen who helps run a group called Fertilwater, one that aims to educate and advocate for the particular water issues facing her community. His cat was Zagigan, number 39, Independent First Nations, a.k.a. Shoal Lake 39, which is close to Winnipeg. The Winnipeg government has been using Shoal Lake 39 and neighboring Shoal Lake 40 as a water supply for the city residents for over 100 years. And though the lake water runs through a filtration system, which is necessary because it's not otherwise drinkable, before it reaches the residents of Winnipeg. This water is not offered to the residents of the lake, the members of Rebecca's community. These residents have been under a boil water advisory, meaning that they have to boil the water that comes out of their tap before it's considered safe to drink for a very long time. Rebecca speaks to us about what it's like living where she does, her work with FERDA, and the unique challenges of being a young activist in her community. She joins me now. 
why did you, why are you specifically interested um, in talking about water conservation in your community? Well, I know it's not necessarily water conservation, but it's more like having clean drinking water and stuff like that because we we have our lake a long time ago. We always hear like our ancestors and stuff, like our elders will always talk to us and say, oh, when we were kids, we could stand on the dock and we could look straight down to the bottom of the water. Yeah. And now that's not even possible now. But What does it look like now? It's just like green. You can't see anything. So... And then that kind of, and we the connection is a little bit different, and it's kind of hard to explain when we talk about water. So it's like sometimes whenever we're giving to like giving presentations to non-indigenous peoples, they don't really see it on the same level as we do. It's more like on a sacred and spirituality type thing. So when we when we're talking about the water, it's kind of like we don't we're not saying that we we own the water or anything. It's just kind of. It's its own being, it's its own spiritual being, and in Canada, we barely have any fresh water, so we don't, and we think it's unfair that we live here and we don't get to have the own, our own type of water source that's clean, but Winnipeg can take it for free. And that's kind of where our whole thing stems from, was the whole Winnipeg water issue. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about the history of what it was that, that happened with Winnipeg and, and these water reserves? <laughs> I wish I totally had all my papers here, but I can go from what I remember. Okay. Um... So I guess in the early 1900s, Canada, they were pulling water from, I am pretty sure it is the Red River, and then people were getting really sick and their population was decreasing and they started to die off. So then the new mayor uh, wanted to seek out having clean drinking water and stuff like that, so they ended up creating and coming over to Shoal Lake. And they examined it and they said, okay, this is where we want to have, this is where we want to take our water source from. So they started developing, I want to say in 19, 1910 to 1920, they started developing, uh, railways and, um, the pipe, uh, the aqueduct itself and stuff like that. So they started preparing for it. And around that time, they also, what we call Ash Rapids here is they, they blew it up. So like the flow was, was wider and faster so they could get more water because the way the level, the water levels were, were pretty bad. So then since, and then after it kind of happened and there was no real talks between our community that have been really recorded other than that there was an agreement signed and then these so-and-so people signed it. Right. And the, the complicity of the, the problem is that I'm from Shoal Lake 39 and just across the lake is Shoal Lake 40. Right. So, and they're drying from the water between us. Right. And then, it's yeah. leaving a lot of water for the residents that live there. Mm-hmm. So tell yeah. me a little bit about what what the adverse effects have been since this, this order was put in place about 100 years ago. What does it look like now for the people that live there? Um, well, I guess you can say that like a long time, like we have pretty deep water now a long time ago. Our water was pretty shallow, and that's what our community name is, is Katezaga again, and it means where the water is shallow. So then now we have, and even now, the water levels that shift because of how much water they're taking in a day changes. The water levels that change all the time, it, it creates like um, uh, the shake of, um, what do you call it, fish eggs and stuff like that. Yeah. So then when the fish eggs are being 
shaken. They're not spawning properly. And the way the fish mind works is they're going to keep going as long as they've been, like, programmed in their body to go. Because that's, like, the way their genetics work. So they're going to keep going there to spawn. Right. Okay, can you tell me a little bit about what it is that you and the other members of FURTA do or talk about when you get together? Um, well, right now, like, as of now, we've kind of, this summer we're really looking at kind of making it, like, right into the community type stuff. So we've looked at, right now we're, we've, we're helping sustain a greenhouse in our own community and stuff like that. And um, we also want to work on, we're seeking funding for, a, like, a tree nursery and stuff like that. Because in our community, we just had a, a forest fire and a lot of our trees have died. And we're also running out of birch, birch trees. Oh, so you don't just work uh, specifically with, or specifically concentrate on water? Um, no, we also do, like, environmental. It's like, we just kind of, like, like fly through the environmental scheme of things. Right, okay. Can you tell me about a time that was, like, an especially proud victory of, of Fruit of Water? Hmm. Something that you're just really proud of that you guys have done? Well, I guess. Yeah, it actually goes back to when I was, like, 12 years old. Um, it was It was really what started for me personally and, like, my friends, like, kind of what really opened up the connection for us and stuff like that to the land is, I think, I want to say four years ago, we did a water walk from our community to, to Winnipeg on the, uh, what's it called, uh, legislative building. Um, we, we did a water walk there and we walked for three and a half days and then we were able to, pres- well, sadly enough, the mayor himself wouldn't come out to greet us when we finished our water walk with our with other people. Why not? Did you ever get a... Uh, I guess, he, I don't know, maybe he was just busy or he didn't want to come out. Okay. So you but, didn't get a, like, a specific reason from them? No, but his um his spokesperson came out. Right. So we talked to them and we presented them with uh, some water straight from our lake and uh, we also presented them with uh, staff, I'm pretty sure it was. So then we... And why... I, why did you present those things? Well, the water, it was, we, we blessed the water before we took it, and it was kind of like, it was supposed to symbolize that this is the water we're going to give you for free, and we don't want you to take any more water for free. Right. And the staff was just like, okay, so we walked and we took it on our journey, and here's this for you because you didn't join us on the journey. Okay. So, following the walk we had, I... I don't know why I did it, to be honest. It's kind of like, it just kind of happened. I I decided, like, okay, Dad, can you, can you let me speak at the podium in front of hundreds of people? So then my uncle and my dad were like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And I ended up speaking, and I had no recall of what I said, but there was, like, tons of people there, and there was lots of news reporters. And then that was kind of, like, the moment where it was like, wow, I really like doing this, and I actually feel like this is what I want to do. And then... What was it about that that you think turned turned that on in you? I think it was just like the the peop the way I had the reaction from my people and they weren't even the children, it were it was the adults that and the fact that they supported me really really changed the way I looked at things because I always saw myself on the bottom scale of, of the way that things worked in the community because I was young. Yeah. And then they held me up in high regard, so it kind of changed the way I looked at things. I said, and it kind of changed, like, 
wow, the kids really do have a say in what things what things that happen around here. Yeah. Wow. Um, so can you tell me a little bit on that tip, kind of the reaction that you've been getting both in your community or the people that Fair to Water speaks to? Can you give me a little taste of what some of the reactions have been? Uh, well, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Grassy Narrows First Nation and their mercury logging issues. No. No? Okay, well, they have, like, a huge uh, mercury and logging issue in their community, and they're about maybe, like, two hours from us, and we've worked. Do you mean that they have too much mercury in their water? Yeah, and that comes from logging. Okay. So we've worked with with, uh, some kids from their community, and... They've actually jumped on board with like our project, and they've they've always offered to help us out, and we've just, we just consider them part of us and like their members. Part of that, we partnered with some youth that have stepped up and said, "Oh, can we join you?" We've partnered with them and another organization, and we're going to be having a water walk this summer again with mm-hmm. a lot more people, I guess. Right? Yeah, a lot more. And you've done one already, so you're kind of a, a veteran. You know how to yeah. these things go. Yeah. This will be my third one, yeah. Oh, third one, really? Mm-hmm. Cool. And is your plan to do the same thing? Are you going to walk to the mayor's office? Uh, no, this time it's going to be, it's focused on the Trans-Canada Energy Pipeline. Okay, what are you guys going to do exactly? Uh, we are going to walk from Eagle Lake First Nation to my community, and then we're going to have a water gathering here, and then we're going to, I was hoping to invite um, a couple of my friends that I've met like throughout the years. Um, I'm not sure if you know anyone from Earth Guardians. Or um, or even Winona LaDuke, she's going to come here, and we're hoping to talk about uh, maybe, like, strategizing on how you can successfully work towards denying pipelines, because Winona has done so much work with Enbridge in the States, and I think that if we can model ourselves off of people who have been successful, then we can be successful. Okay. Um, and I think you mentioned in, in the piece that um, you're in for, for Shameless uh, magazine that um, a challenge of being, you mentioned a challenge about being a teen activist is sometimes that people don't really take you seriously. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Mm. Well, I've had it happen. Like, sometimes people think, okay, like, there's a, when you're First Nations activist and you're young, there's a little bit of, like, a difference between where the kids belong in the social hierarchy. So the kids can't really talk and have their say in things unless they prove themselves through, like, their rites of passage and, like, sacred stuff. And there are people out there like that who see the young people like that in our communities. But not everyone sees people like that. And and then I won't, like, say any names, but for an example, we've had where we're doing fundraising and people, and we've had someone say, like a chief say, oh, I'm not going to support you because you're kids and you guys should just be doing kid things. And that's like the kind of feedback we get. And I, and I, I guess I just see that he's trying to bring back like our older ways and saying that this is not where the kids fit in right now. But we're in a, like a changing world and I think we have to adapt and we, the adults, I don't want to, pin anything against them, but they don't see things the way we do sometimes. And you, can, you can't change someone's mind who's been instilled like that all their lives. So why not bring a new generation forward and let them have their say and speak on behalf of them because this is going to be the world they're living in, right? Right. Mm-hmm.
Mariah Griffin-Angus is a Toxics Coordinator at Environmental Defense, an environmental action organization that works to challenge and inspire change in governments, businesses, and individuals. She speaks to us about toxins found in self-care products and how the labels that read natural or plant-derived or organic on your sunscreen, shampoo, and face wash don't necessarily mean that they aren't full of toxins. What do they really mean, she asks. And she speaks on how Canadian consumers deserve to know exactly what's in the products that they buy and how much of it exactly is, in fact, toxic. Here's Mariah. So, Mariah, you study um, toxicity levels in a lot of things, including um, toxins found in self-care products like shampoo and deodorant and makeup, that kind of thing. Uh, what are some of the, m- the more surprising things you found when you started to test those things? Well... A couple of years ago, we did a study on um, cord blood in babies, in newborn infants, mm-hmm. just to see what was, what was happening with infants. You know, before they're born, are they being exposed to chemicals in everyday life? Yeah. And we found babies were being born pre-polluted. So, oh, for wow. instance, uh, exposure to bisphenol A, which is a chemical commonly found in plastics and water bottles, prenatal exposure to BPA can lead to prostate cancer later on in life for male fetuses. Wow. So, and, and what did you guys figure out, like, wh- what was causing this? It was some of the things that the, the mother was using before the baby was born, some of the products yeah, that we well used? Yeah, wow. if the mother is, you know, exposing herself to plastics throughout the pregnancy, yeah. it can end up affecting the baby's health, like, 30 years later. Wow, incredible. Yeah, it's really crazy, and it's really unjust in a lot of ways, because you're never consenting to that as the mother or the baby. You don't right. have a chance. You have to be kind of already written for you in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Wow, Okay. Well, as a way to kind of counteract that before you get pregnant and much before then, <laughs> um, what are, I mean, what are some of the best, or some of the best, what are, what toxins are best to avoid in personal care products? Like what are the worst offenders when you walk down the aisle in a drugstore or even in a health food store? Yeah, well... Environmental Defense, the organization I work for, actually had the list called the Toxic 10. And it's a shopping guide. People can take it with them. And it's basically the top 10 chemicals you're most likely to be exposed to in your, chemi- in your product. So, for instance, parabens and phthalates are commonly found in makeup and shampoo and conditioner. Mm-hmm. Phthalates are an estrogen mimicker, so they can actually um, increase the risk of breast cancer. Oh, wow. And a lot of times, what's really scary is that you might not even know they're in the product because if you look at in the ingredients list, oftentimes they'll say something like fragrance or perfume. Yeah. Companies don't have to tell you what's in fragrance or right. perfume. So that was actually going to be my next question. I mean, if it actually said those words on the label, like parabens or whatever those, you know, those, buzz, those, those words that that um, toxic 10 list will tell you to look out for. But if they don't actually explicitly say them, how do you know that they're in there? Well, that is the problem, right? Mm-hmm. That is something we've been saying to the government and to corporate retailers, like, Consumers should have the choice and should have an, the right to know what's in their products. Right. If you don't want to be exposed to this, for instance, if you have a high risk of breast cancer in your family, or if you just think that it's weird to have any products, yep. then there's no way to avoid it. Mm-hmm. And tell me a little bit about products that claim to be organic or, or natural. I think you were telling me about that they're not, you were telling me rather that um, that's not always true. No, so. In Canada, for personal care products, there are no real regulations around the terms of organic, natural, or even hypoallergenic. Mm-hmm. So basically, it means whatever the company wants it to mean. So organic can mean 
partially organic. It can mean organic can mean however the company wants it to mean. Right. So you're buying a product and you think it's safe for you, but unless it's not certified organic somewhere, mm-hmm. it's probably not. So it's certified organic are the words you need to look for, not just organic. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like with with food, I think, mm-hmm. right? Up until very recently, we had that symbol mm-hmm. with that. That's the maple leaf that looks over the rolling hills, kind of like a yeah, sun. Yeah, yeah. And that's the symbol to let consumers know that it is, in fact, at least a, a certain percentage of organic that's like over 90%, I think it yeah, is, Yeah, or at right? least a certain threshold. A th- threshold, right. So it's not just the word organic you have to look for, but you have to look for certified organic or that per- a particular seal. Yeah, well, one thing that really helps is actually if the company discloses everything. Yeah. So they don't hide behind, you know, cleaning agents or fragrance. They actually say all the ingredients. Yes. Generally, they tell you everything. It tends often to be a better option. Right. So instead of just saying fragrance, for example, they were to say like peppermint oil or yeah, right, exactly. Okay, exactly what fragrances yeah, they but mean. It also sometimes if you look at shampoo, they'll say natural shampoo. And you're kind of like, well. What is natural shampoo? Right. What is natural shampoo? Shampoo isn't really a natural thing to begin with. <laughs> right. Or even plant-derived. Like right. poison ivy is plant-derived, but you wouldn't want that on your body. Right. <laughs> good point. Poison ivy is plant-derived. Yeah, but they use these words because they sound good. So even yeah. if it is plant-derived, doesn't necessarily mean... It sounds like a present from Mother Nature in a yeah, bottle. Yeah, but I want everything that wouldn't like come that. from nature, but it, <laughs> it gets, you know, changed in the lab, which is fine. Yeah. Sometimes it's totally safe. Yes. But if you don't know, then that's the problem. Are, do you have a, a list or like a few examples of some really terrible offenders out there, like things like to really avoid? In terms of companies? Yeah, or? like products, I don't know. Um, I, I can't say for sure exactly. We did a cosmetic corporate report card about a year and a half, two years ago, and we kind of went through the five major cosmetic companies in Canada. So it's Procter & Gamble, L'Oreal, Estee Lauder, Johnson Johnson and Unilever, mm-hmm. so they kind of own most of the makeup you would yes. buy at the drugstore. And some companies like Estee Lauder will not reveal what's in the fragrance. Like it's oh, very really? difficult to get that information. Whereas other companies like Johnson and Johnson and Procter Gamble are making steps toward progress. Yes, it's a, it's a work in progress and it's not perfect, but they're getting there. Is this report card like accessible to anybody? Yes, yeah, so you can get all the information I've been talking about online at a website, environmentaldefense.ca. Right. Okay, that's good to know. Um, so where does it stand right now? Like, how? Uh, what uh, are the actual regulations and laws that exist for uh, the things that are allowed to be revealed to consumers? Well, for personal care products, it's under Health Canada, and so you have to reveal all the ingredients except for fragrance and perfume right it's proprietary it's a trade secret right of course and that's what makes the product you don't exclusive. want to tell them what's in your special yeah. perfume because anybody anybody could do it then right that's is that i guess idea? so okay. i i don't really believe that i don't have right. a big fancy lab in my kitchen i can't replicate fancy perfume yes but i guess for competitors reason they think they should be able to keep it a secret it does seem strange because you know if you read uh if you get a can of a, a a bottle of tomato sauce and it has all the ingredients on the back. You still don't know. I mean, that's still the the things that are in the recipe, but it's not the recipe itself. So mm-hmm. You don't know how to. You still don't know how to make that sauce. You still, if you if you find it particularly delicious and you try to recreate it, maybe it doesn't taste exactly no, it like it would in that bottle that you buy. So it seems strange that that they couldn't reveal what's in it without revealing how much of each thing, because mm-hmm. that's the actual recipe, right? Yeah, it's definitely flawed logic. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so so tell me. Uh, about some some safer safer alternatives to 
these personal care products that we we use every day. I was I was looking at your website and um, and it mentioned something like most Canadians before they even hit the breakfast table in the morning use something like fifteen chemicals before they, they, they get there. about fifteen personal care products. Personal care products, rather. Sorry. And and which I imagine mean even more chemicals in, inside of those things because or or whatever they are or toxins perhaps depending on what it is that you use, mm-hmm. um, and that's something like you don't even think about like I wake up I put my deodorant on I wash my face and I put my cream on and my makeup on and I just I don't know it's part of my routine I hardly think about it anymore and mm-hmm. I think that's true of most people. So um, what are some safer safer alternatives to uh, switch out in these? Uh, average of 15 care products that we use all before we have breakfast there's a lot of things people can do the first thing the easiest thing to do is read the label mm-hmm. i mean maybe there are no parabens and phthalates and it's fragrance free and you're fine mm-hmm. like i've been kind of surprised when i look through my makeup my mascara i have a mascara from maybelline and i don't have any of the toxic products mm. and it, but it's the one mascara so you have to read the label right so it's kind of annoying standing there on the drugstore trying to read the small print yes uh, one of the other things to do is call the company and ask them, you know, what's the new product? Yeah. Are you going to switch to safer alternatives? I find websites like Sephora to be mm-hmm. weirdly useful. Oh, really? Because they'll actually say when you click on the product with lipstick, say made without parabens, made without phthalates, made without triclosan. Oh, cool. That's and they oftentimes will have both full list of ingredients right on the website. Right. Okay. So that's what I do now. So that's an, a pretty good alternative, certainly for makeup, because, you know, Sephora has tons of, it's like a hub. Yeah, for all kinds of companies, so that would be a, quite a useful resource. Yeah, and often on the website they'll tell you this thing doesn't have this, doesn't have that, and you're like, oh, well then that's fine. It's interesting that you said also you have a Maybelline mascara because I mean I would imagine well my assumption immediately is like things that are kind of uh, drugstore cheap probably are some of the worst offenders, but perhaps that's not true. No, it's I find now when I go shopping it's really touch and go. You have kind of no idea what to expect, and it's changing all the time. Okay. Companies are often reformulating, but there is a huge pressure, so companies are realizing that consumers want safe makeup. Yeah. But that's not too much asked for, I don't think. But it tends to be really random which products are safe and which ones I would consider to be problematic. Mm-hmm. And can you tell uh, me some of your favorite products that you use? Yeah. Um, I use the La Vanilla deodorant. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a little expensive, but it's really nice. Mm-hmm. And it smells nice too. Mm-hmm. So they do have fragrance, but it tends to be like essential oils and stuff. Okay. And I also use the Tarte makeup. Tarte? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, Tarte. Okay. Yeah. It tend- it you made get that at Sephora, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it doesn't have trickle sand in it, which alarmed me the first time I saw it because trickle sand um antibacterial mm-hmm. chemical and often hand sanitizer. Mm-hmm. And it's leading to an increased bacterial growth in waterways in terms of dioxin when it's exposed to sunlight. So you're saying that this particular chemical, which is often found in hand sanitizers, actually grow bacteria instead of kill them? Yeah, because what, what it, it's complicated, but what it does is it kills off all the bacteria in your hands, yeah. right? So then people are getting sick in hospitals because there's no good bacteria left. Oh, so it kills the good and the bad. Yeah, but then it ends up in the waterways and it turns to dioxin and sunlight and it didn't increase growth of bacteria in waterways. Oh, wow. So for a great lake, there's a huge problem. Anyway, so the tart thing said made without triclosan. So I thought, well, that's a weird thing that they would say. Mm-hmm. It's, why would that be in face powder? Right. So you read, so you start reading the other ingredients, and you're like, oh. So some of the ingredients you find in hand sanitizers show up in your in your makeup sometimes and kill the good bacteria mm-hmm. along with the bad. Yeah. So oftentimes they tend to put it in like um, 
face wash for people with skin problems, mm-hmm. but that's not really a good thing either. Right. Like bacteria. Like people who break out, you mean? Is that yeah. What you mean? Right. Okay. Like bacteria is not all bad. Right. Of course. No. Do you have a tip on something that you could use if you did have bad skin? And for- uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Just like really avoiding harsh chemicals. Like I know that sounds. Like no, I think you're. Again. I heard that. Um, Olive oil and castor oil is really good for oily skin, which sounds counterintuitive, but no. it pulls oil out of your oil pulls oil out. I'm not sure how it works, but I do hot oil cleansing on my face. Yeah. And it just seems to work better. It just, certainly works for me, like when I have when I start to break out that that. Really yeah, works. when you think about it, your skin is so sensitive and you're putting things on your face that are supposed to dry it out. Yeah. Or just they're really harsh. Mm-hmm. They might not work for you, but something just gentle and just being really nice to your skin, just trying to keep it happy. Yeah. Find that to be way better. Right. Um, what about, do you have any tips on sunscreen? Because kind of in the summertime, are there any like particularly bad offenders or any ones that are like mm-hmm. better than others? Yeah, so the, the chemical people should look for and avoid in the sunscreen and it's called avrobenzene. Avrobenzene? Mm-hmm. Okay. And is it is that ever listed on a label? Yes. Oh, it, it is. is. Okay, avrobenzene. Okay. But most, you can easily find sunscreens in drugstores that don't have that. Yeah. And we also have a tip sheet on our website on being sun safe because skin cancer is on the rise in right. Canada so oftentimes people have a misconception that sunscreen is worse for them than actually getting sun exposure they do <laughs> a lot of people say this to me I don't know wait is it because they think that there's too many chemicals in sunscreen yeah so that it's safer to get sun exposure which is not true right people should be sun safe yes okay but certainly yes I, I think that that sounds like oh well, I mean I think it's pretty well known, but fair enough. I mean, some people think that, you know, those creams are toxic, no matter what they are. I mean, that's why you're here to tell us that's not true. <laughs> but um, do you have a specific brand that you like? I use Paula's Choice. Paula's Choice, sometimes you do. I've never heard of that one. You can buy it online. Okay. Sometimes they use paraben phthalates, but the sunscreen that I buy doesn't have it. Okay. And it, I have really, really pale skin, mm-hmm. so it's, it's so really important for me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I've been using, and it's been really good. Okay. Can you go? Is have you ever seen it anywhere else other than online? No. And I've is it is it at its own website? Yeah. So if you just type in Paula's Choice, okay, it comes up. Paula's Choice. Okay. Cool. And you mentioned that you have the. Um, I did take a look at it. The toxic um, ten list on your website, which is like a printable PDF mm-hmm. that you can like put it in your wallet. Well, if you have a mobile phone, you can carry it with yeah, you, and it really sure. does tell you like. These are the words to look for, and this is. And actually, what else I noticed that was really helpful is like this is why it's there because it causes allergen because it uh, mm-hmm. allergens because it causes um, problems in female reproduction. Like you, it, I, I I quite appreciated the, as a consumer the breakdown of because you know those words as I'm not a scientist so I don't mm-hmm. you know they just sort of like look for the word on the on the top ten list and, and find the corresponding word on a label and be like that's just bad for me but I'm not sure why. So it's nice to have an explanation as to why they're specifically. Can be harmful yeah and then sometimes people have certain things that they want to avoid or certain health risks that they're worried about so you know people who are concerned about dry skin might want to avoid certain chemicals that would irritate your skin right if that's not a problem for you then maybe that would be less of a priority right right so it's certainly a handy list to have as you find out what on top of what kind of skin you have mm-hmm. uh, it's the skin we certainly have something we also have something in common that these um these chemicals don't necessarily do good things for us no and not all chemicals are bad but it's important then to be aware of what you are putting in your body right and understand that we need stronger regulation good consumers deserve better right and i'm you know it sounds like a 
an obvious thing to say, but what goes on your body goes in your body. Exactly. Right? So it's, when you think of it like that, like you would need it. Mm-hmm. So why would you put it on your skin? Yeah, it's, it's ending up in you anyways. Yeah. And maybe, you know, you will have no health effects, but right now the risk is just too great and we don't know enough about right. what's going on. Okay. And how can people help um, with what you do to help increase awareness? Well, right now in Ontario, we've launched a labeling campaign. So in California, they launched this thing called Proposition 65, which basically requires that any product with a chemical on the toxic list, put that on a label so the consumer can see it. Yeah. So if you go to American Apparel and look at the nail polish, mm-hmm. it'll say in the state of California, this is considered to be a reproductive um, toxicant or carcinogen. Right. So consumers know that maybe I don't want this. Right. So we want the same thing in Ontario because mm-hmm. one, it allows consumers to know that they're the risk, yeah. but two, it's also really bad PR for a company. You don't want to be selling children toys that make up this, right. this might kill you someday. Of course. So you're going to reformulate it rather than have that label on your product. Right. Right. Of course. So it, it's good for everybody. It's like a cigarette label. Mm-hmm. So if you go to our website, you can sign the petition to ask the Ontario government mm-hmm. to put the regulation into effect. Okay. So we'll, it's at environmentaldefense.ca, there's the petition there? Yes. Okay. On the Take Action tab. On the Take Action tab, you can sign your name. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Okay. I'll, I'll go there as soon as you leave. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Great. Okay, that's it. We hope you enjoyed it. Our issue on environmental justice is on the stands now. And in it, we tackle classism and environmentalism, decoding how the media discusses the pipeline, how to build your own rain barrel. And that's just a taste. So go pick up a copy, won't you? And also, let me just tell you about Hall of Shameless. So Shameless has no corporate backers, incredibly, and we want to keep it that way. We're an independent magazine, and that means that Shameless has the freedom to fulfill our mandate of creating content that empowers youth to be curious, to be brave, to think critically and creatively, and to trust themselves. Trust yourselves, peeps. And with your help, we can make Shameless sustainable. So for a small monthly donation, and we really do mean small, like the price of one fancy coffee or one trip to the movies, you will receive an ongoing subscription to Shameless and free entry to all of our events. And more importantly, you will be an integral part of ensuring that Shameless continues to bring a much-needed voice to young women and trans youth across Canada. So please check it out at www.shamelessmag.com. There's a little header that says Holla Shameless. Click that. And there you are. Our theme song is by Super Lion, and you can check out their album on their Bandcamp page. Okay, everyone, thanks so much for joining us. We hope you liked it, and we're going to see you next time. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>